Grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, we got some in the back. Raise your hand. But we're going to go to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Now, last week we were in Matthew, and uh, we're going to hear the same story, but I'm going to read it from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4, and give you a different view of the same story as we continue in a series that we've started. It's called Be Still. And the whole point of this sermon series is the three-part, where this is part two, is again, in the midst of everything that's going on in our world right now, uh, whatever it's political, violent, uh, the tension that we sense, whether it's relational at home, there are things that just strike fear into our life, anxious and worrisome. And so we are in the midst of a sermon series, three-parter, that's going to address these issues. Now, before that, I want to read a different story. This is not from the Bible, okay? So brace yourself. Chicken Little likes to walk in the woods. She likes to look at trees. She likes to smell the flowers. She likes to listen to the birds singing. One day while she is walking, an acorn falls from a tree and hits the top of her little head. My, oh, my, the sky is falling. I must run and tell the lion about it. And Chicken Little runs and runs. And by and by, she meets the hen. Where are you going? Asked the hen. Oh, Henny Penny, the sky is falling, and I'm going to the lion to tell him about it. Well, how do you know about it? Asked Henny Penny. Well, it hit me on the head, so I know it must be so, says Chicken Little. Well, let me go with you, says Henny Penny. Run, run. The two run, run, until they meet Ducky Lucky. The sky is falling, says Henny Penny. Where are we going to tell the lion him about it? Well, how do you know that, says Ducky Lucky. It hit Chicken Little on the head, says Henny Penny. May I come with you, says Ducky Lucky. I'm so glad we don't have names like this. Come, says Henny Penny. So all three of them run and run until they meet Foxy Loxy. So where are you going, asks Foxy Loxy. The sky is falling and we're going to tell the lion about it, says Ducky Lucky. Do you know where he lives, asks the fox. I don't, says Chicken Little. I don't, says Henny Penny. I don't, says Ducky Lucky. I do, says Foxy Loxy. Come with me and I can show you the way. He walks on and on until he comes to his den. Come right in, says Foxy Loxy. And they all go in, but they never, never come out again. Oof. I know it's a little story, right? Okay, but, and I'm so thankful we don't have names like that. But when I thought about this story and read about this story, and you think about it, a little acorn lands on the top of a head of a chicken, and it gets all freaked out and all weirded out and says, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and it, what does that do? When fear strikes, what do we do? We run and we tell another person, what's going on? The sky is falling, and all of a sudden, our fear is then put upon another person, and they get worried and anxious and fearful. And next thing you know, both of you are running around like a, well, I was going to say like a chicken with its head cut off, but with the head was still on, but with an acorn dent, Right? But now they're running around and telling another person, another person, and fear just continues to perpetuate until everybody around you is so fearful because of what you're spreading. And what happens And you get to the fox, and the fox says, here, let me help you out. But the fox ends it all. And I was thinking about this story. I was almost thinking like the lion being like the lion of Judah. And I'm thinking of the fox, foxy loxy, being like sneaky Satan. And... Satan loves to grab us and say, oh, you want to find some peace? 
I'll take you to a place where you can find some peace. And he lures us in until we are at that point in time unable to seek God anymore because we've been caught in the den of Satan. We started, like I said, this, this series because I really feel we're sometimes like Chicken Little. We're running around so fearful of things, trying to seek answers, trying to seek a calmness, and we're going to the wrong resource. Instead of going to God to find peace and hope and strength, we end up listening to maybe the lies of Satan, what Satan is saying, this is how you find peace, and it isn't so. In the book of Mark, a different story than the one I just read, I want to review real quick what we learned last week from this story. So look with me, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. He was already in the boat, so they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm, and remember we said the word for storm, in Greek is seismos, which means earthquake. It's a violent storm, used three times by Jesus in the New Testament. When the earth shook when he died on the cross, when the earth shook when the stone rolled away and he was resurrected, and when the earth shook and the storm came, seismos. In each storm, God calmed, defeated death, defeated sin, and defeated fear. Verse 37, a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly full of water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on the cushion. Frantically, they woke him and shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when he woke up, he rebuked the wind, said to the water, Quiet down or peace be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And he asked them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have faith in me? And quickly recapping the story, we said this. These men wanted to follow Jesus. You know, if I said this morning, how many of you want to follow Jesus? I would hope that the majority, if not all of you, would say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. That's why I'm here at church. I want to follow Jesus. But here's the deal. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to get in a boat with him and go where he's going to go. And some of us are like, yeah, I think I'm okay with that until you find out that sometimes it's not a carnival cruise. Getting in a boat with Jesus might mean you might head into a storm in your life. Are you ready to face the storms in your life, even though Jesus is saying, it's okay, I'm here with you, but sometimes we think he's not. Do you still want to follow him? Well, the storms come in our life, times of trials and sorrows, times when we have that commotion and it's like an earthquake-type storm that shakes our life, whether it's a relationship gone bad, something at work takes place, something in our nation, and all of a sudden we're so worrisome, about the damage that's going to take place. And we say it's not the absence of storms that set us apart as Christians. What did we say last week? It's whom we discover and place our hope in, in the midst of the storm. I've heard people say, I don't want to believe in that God stuff. Jesus is like a crutch to you Christians. You know what? Jesus is not my crutch. He's my anchor. He's my anchor. He is my Christ. And if you want to call him a crutch, call him what you want. But he's with me. And I have no doubt about that. And what's the disciples' reaction in all this storm? Remember what they said? What do you know about storms, Jesus? Do you know how to handle storms? Do you know how to calm them? They didn't say it. What did they say? Do you care? And we honestly evaluated our lives last week. And we said, how many times in our lives, when something's gone bad, have we proclaimed to God, God, do you care? Really? Again? Honestly, we probably have said that. And then we have to Step back and honestly say, but what is true? The God of this universe, who is deeply in love with you, says, 
I absolutely love you. I sent my son to die for you. I care. So when the disciples are looking at the Son of God and they say, don't you care? Don't you think Jesus had had one of those cross-eyed looks like, are you kidding me? Yes, I care. But he didn't belittle them. He didn't make them feel bad or shamed because they doubted. Because he understands that fear warps our thinking. Fear causes us to have spiritual amnesia. Fear causes us to forget that there's a God who loves us. Fear causes us to forget what we've witnessed in the past and what we've seen. Because the disciples saw Jesus do all these incredible, miraculous things. For sure, he is God, the Son of God. And fear causes us saying, I want more, right? I want to be in control of this situation. I don't like what's going on in my life, so I'll just take control and I'll be in charge and I'll, I'll make sure things happen. And what do we do? We forget that God needs to be in control. Talked with a few of you after church, and we said, Could you imagine the disciples were probably grabbing those oars? They were trying to control that boat all they could, all their might, trying to make sure that they could survive the storm, not realizing that that's what fear does. It makes us feel like we got to get in charge and take over. We forget that God wants to do that. To be clear, we did say fear does serve a healthy function, right? It keeps a child from running onto the road and getting hit, it keeps us from sticking our hand on the hot stove. Fear does help in some areas, but remember this, fear is not a sin, it's what we do with fear. It's what we do with fear, it's where fear can lead us to. And the question is, when fear arrives, do we allow God to help us with the solution? When fear knocks on the door of our hearts, we don't have to let it in. We don't have to answer that door. And in the midst of the storms in life, when fears swell up like the waves in this story, that's when God wants to step into your life and calm things down. He doesn't do it in an apologetic way either. He's like, oh, it's, if you don't mind, can I just step in your life and help you settle down? He steps in in a godly way and says, I will shut up the storm for you. I will make things calm for you. Peace, be still, right? And the word used for peace in this verse is not like a, hey, quit fighting. Parents, how many times do you walk to them like, man, we just need some peace in this house. These kids, you know, they're running all over, they're like fighting. Or maybe we think in wartime, what is peace? This is not that kind of peace. The kind of peace that's used here is an involuntary stillness. It's the inability to speak. It's taking the remote and hitting the mute button. If I could do it that way, explain it that way. You're taking something that's loud and causing it to be completely quiet. And that's what Jesus did. When he took charge, he shut the mouth of the storm. He First thing he says, peace. And basically, boom, hit the mute button on the storm. And it just went calm. In Luke 1, we find this word used. When the angel appeared to Zechariah and said, you're going to have, your wife's going to have a child. John the Baptist is going to be born. Remember that story in Luke 1? Zechariah said to the angel, how am I going to know this? I'm an old man. How's this going to happen? My wife is advanced in years. And, um, hashtag, she's really old. Okay? Okay? And the angel said, well, I'm Gabriel. Could you imagine this? You have an angel standing for it. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent here to speak to you, to bring you this good news about your wife, about your future son. Behold, listen, you will be silent. That's the same word Jesus said. It's peace. You'll be silent. He throws that same Greek word out and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you didn't believe my words. The angel muted Zechariah. Boom. Couldn't talk again. He opened his mouth. Nothing's coming out. That phrase, be still, has a similar meaning. 
again, to reduce the silence. So Jesus said, peace, boom, put the mute on the storm. And then he said, be still, which means to muzzle something. To muzzle, to put something over the mouth so it cannot speak, it cannot eat, it cannot talk. Jesus put a muzzle on the mouth of that storm and shut it up. Jesus shows us he, has, he is God. He has the power to take fear and muzzle it. He has the power to take the storms in our life and shut them up. That is our Lord. And we understand be still, silence fear, but still, be still has a different word for us as well, a different meaning for us. We're told different times in Scripture to also be still, not in the muted way, but in a different way. We're warned that life won't be easy, and when fear shows up, we are to be still, not quieted, not muted, not muzzled, but it's a different still. Matthew 24, Jesus sits down with his disciples. He begins to have a chat with them. They want to know, Jesus, when are the end times going to come? When are you going to return? When is your kingdom going to be established here on this earth? And he tells of the future destruction and earthquakes and persecution for being a follower. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. And he has this list of all these things that we are probably fearing. Turn with me to Matthew. You're in Mark. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says in verse 4, Don't let anyone mislead you. Many is going to come in my name saying I'm the Messiah. They'll lead you many astray. Listen to verse 6. Wars will break out near and far, but don't panic. You're going to hear about wars. You're going to hear about rumors of wars. Have we not heard about wars in our lifetime? Are there not wars going on right now? Yes and yes. And what did Jesus say? You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. And then he said this, See that you are not alarmed. Don't panic. See to it that you don't panic. Multiple translations there, right? Basically, he's saying this. Don't be alarmed. Do not be a chicken little. Follow me on this? You will hear about wars and rumors of wars. You'll have an acorn drop on your head and you think it's the end of the world. But don't panic. Don't be alarmed. Don't be running around and inducing panic with everybody else. Oh, i got to post this right now. Ooh. You know, and you, all, what did you, you just induce some panic on everybody else. Why did you do that? Don't be a chicken little. Don't be alarmed. Don't be frightened. That alarm means to cry aloud, to scream as if you're afraid. Instead of being fearful, instead of being alarmed, be still. Don't be troubled. Keep your head. Don't panic. Shut the mouth of fear. And how do we do that? Turn your Bibles to Psalm 37, Old Testament. Middle of the Bible, book of Psalm. Psalm 37. David has gone through a lot in his life, being chased down, being hunted multiple times, having to trust God amongst different people in his life that were turning their back on him. And in Psalm chapter 37, he says this, Be still in the presence of the Lord. Be still in the presence of the Lord. And wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who's going to prosper. Don't worry about what's going on in the news right now. Don't fret about their wicked schemes. Be still 
in the presence of the Lord. Turn to Psalm 46. So you're at 37. Just go a couple pages over to Psalm 46. Church, let me read this to you. God's our refuge and strength. God is our refuge, our place of shelter, our strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear even if earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High, verse 5. God himself lives in that city. It can't be destroyed. God will protect it at the break of day. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms crumble. God thunders and the earth melts. Listen to verse 7. The Lord Almighty is here among us. The Lord Almighty is here among us. Among us. Look at the person next to you and tell them the Lord Almighty is here among us. Tell them. Now we could say God is with us. That's an easy way to say it, right? But when you look at how David puts God's name in here, the Lord Almighty, conqueror, king of kings, Lord Almighty is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Look at verse 8. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear in two. He burns the shields with fire. Verse 10. Be silent. Know that I am God. You've seen this on bumper stickers. You've seen this posted. Be still and know that I am God. This is the psalm it comes from. Be silent. Know that I am God. I'll be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. The Lord Almighty is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Verse 11 repeats verse 7, sort of as this concluding thing. Did you hear what I'm saying? This was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. During the dark and dangerous periods of the Reformation, he was terribly discouraged and depressed. He would turn to Psalm 46, and it's recorded that he would get his friend and co-worker, and they would sing Psalm 46 together. When they sung Psalm 46, we might not recognize, you know, well, what would that be? But if I told you the name of the psalm, of the song that was sung, the hymn, we would know it as, A Mighty Fortress is our God. And they would sing that together, Psalm 46. Luther said this, We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully miraculous, preserves and defends His church and His word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. God is our refuge and our strength, church. God is our refuge and our strength. We don't have to fear. We can be still and know that He is God. Listen, money, education, talent cannot protect you from heartbreak, failure, sin, disease, disaster, or from judgment. We place so much hope in money. We place so much hope in education. We place so much hope in our talent. You want to know why so many professional athletes, when they stop playing or when they get injured, their life is a wreck? Because they place so much hope in their talent. And when their talent's gone, they think the world has come to an end. We need to remember that God is our help, even in the worst imaginable storms and misfortunes that come upon us. 
Now, where did this psalm come from? Because you have to understand, when we're told to be still, you have to know there's a reason behind why the psalm was written. There's two passages in the Old Testament. We don't have time to read through them and share the story, but the first one is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 30, and I think we'll, we'll have them up there maybe. And the other one's in 2 Kings chapters 18 19. If you want to go back and read those stories later today, go for it. The first story is about Jehoshaphat, and he was told that the armies of the east were coming against him. He appealed to God for help. And this is what he said. The Lord said to him after he went to God and said, God, I need help. These armies are going to come in and they're going to destroy our kingdom. God says this, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle, listen, the battle's not yours, it's God's. How many times have we done that? It's like, this is my problem. You know, don't worry about it. It's, it's my problem. Is it? Have you ever asked God about that? Maybe God would like to say, you know what? I, I know you feel like this is your problem, but I'd like to help you in the midst of it. You may feel like this is your battle right now, but I'd like to stand with you on this one. Verse 16 said, tomorrow march out against them. You'll find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz and the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Zeril. But you won't even need to fight. Listen to this. Take your positions and just stand still. God says, take your army, march in, and then just stop and just stand. Be silent and just stand still. Be still and know that I'm God. Watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for God's with you. God is with you. It goes on to say, So the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness where they were told to go. And says, And they all saw, as they got there, all they saw were just dead bodies lying across the battlefield. They showed up to fight or to stand still, as God told them. Because the battle's not theirs, it was God's, right? They stood there and they looked. It's just dead bodies. That's all it was. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am the Lord God Almighty. The battle's not yours. There's a second Old Testament story in 2 Kings 18 and 19 where King Assyria is attacking Jerusalem and King Hezekiah is feeling that pressure, thinking we're going to be destroyed. And in this story, similar to the other story, God comes to King Hezekiah and basically says, listen, he won't even enter this city. Not a single arrow will come over the wall. You don't need to pull out a shield. You don't even need to set a siege. Just go home by the same road you came. He's not going to enter this city. King, you're going to be okay. God is going to be with you. And it says, it just so happened that very night an angel of God came and massacred 185,000 Assyrians. And when the people of Jerusalem got up the next morning and looked out, all it was was just a camp of corpse. They didn't lift a single shield. Not a single arrow came across. These two passages were what is to believe why Psalm 46 was written based on those two stories. Of course, we're sitting there and saying, so, so which, one, which one is it? Which one was it? We don't know. It could have been both of them, could have been one or the other, but listen to verse 8, 9, and 10 of Psalm 46 again. Come and see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world? He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, he snaps the spear, he burns the shields with fire. Be still 
and know that I am God and I'll be honored in every nation. Be still. Listen, whichever the original circumstance, Second Chronicles, Second Kings, it's true that God alone is our defense. God alone is our mighty shield. He is our ultimate security. He doesn't rest in earthly cities or, or earthly things that we put our rest upon, our securities in. It's a heavenly city prepared by God that he prepares for us. In Psalm verse 9, God's not presented as a peace negotiator, but as a conqueror. When you read this psalm, we sit here and we say, Be still and know that I am God. It's not advice just to be quiet. but It's advice to be quiet and understand that God is our mighty warrior. That God is our victorious God. That God wants to battle for you. Romans 14, 10 to 12 says this. Remember, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me. Every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Each of us, each of us will give a personal account to God. Church, do you hear this? One day, every single knee in this room, no one's excluded. Everyone outside this building, no one excluded. One day, we will all bend a knee to God. Every one of us. We have to give personal account to God for our lives. When you bend that knee, will it be because he is your mighty king and savior? Or is it because you have defected and you have not ever given your life to him? We will be judged. Where have you placed your faith, church? Have you placed your faith in him? Have you bent in that knee and said, I confess my sins to a holy God. I want him to be the Lord of my life. God, forgive me. Come into my life. Have you bent your knee and done that? Or have you bent the knee and say, I don't even look at you because I don't trust you, God. It's going to be one or the other. There is no in between. Every knee will bow. He is our victor. He's our conquering king. And if we're to fear anything, we should fear kneeing before God and not having a relationship with him. That's what we should fear. But if you're a Christian in here, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in God, and you take that knee and you can confess humbly, you don't have to fear God. And you don't have to fear the things in this world because He is our victorious God that walks with us in the midst of all those things. Have you placed your faith in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ? Church, I would, I would do this. You know, at some point in time, you know, we, we offer that opportunity for you to, to confess. And a lot of times we say this, and listen with me. This might change you. A lot of times we say, bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray. Okay, here's the thing. We're not going to bow your heads. We're not going to close eyes. If you're here this morning, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and right now, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're a sinner. It's like, I'm a sinner, Okay. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've never confessed with your mouth or believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. But right now you want to. We're not going to have to bow our heads. We're not going to close our eyes. We're going to keep them open. And we're going to publicly declare, I need him. Not ashamed. Here's the thing. If we bow our heads and close our eyes and, and raise your hand. If you, okay, raise my hand. Okay. And then we look up. And we are, we're sort of wondering, did they give their life to Jesus? Are they a Christian? This is church. We should never be ashamed of having a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not here, not out there. So, this morning, if you've never confessed with your mouth, you've never asked for forgiveness, 
This morning you want to. And you want to bend to me and say, God, forgive me. Right now where you're at, you don't even have to close your eyes. Just go ahead and just pray to him right now. God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I confess with my mouth. I believe my heart. Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Go ahead and pray that prayer right now. Ask for that. Because when a storm arises, I know, I know who lives in me. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I know when a storm arises, God's with me. Is he with you? I'll never forget a, a trip that we went to the Spire Institute in Cleveland. If you don't know where the Spire Institute is, it's a huge athletic facility. Huge. It, it, it's used by the NCA conference of the Big Ten, the Big East. They have their track nationals there. Um, they have Olympic-sized swimming pools, indoor soccer fields, basketball courts, football field. You name it, they have it. Um, we went to visit a few years back. And when we were there, we, we had a leadership camp going on. And the, kid, the kids were doing like an, uh, sort of an a amazing race trying to figure everything out. My position was at, they had baseball cages as well. And so my position was at the baseball cages. When the kids showed up, they put a helmet on. Uh, I, it was just almost like a podium like this. I'd program in. Um, let's see, high school baseball, 50 miles per hour, fastball. You know, you can go anywhere from little league to professional ball and put whatever kind of pitch you want in. And then on the wall was a screen, and, and it actually had, I think Justin Verlander was the pitcher, uh, a, a picture of him, and it was a video. And he, I can't do his wind-up, but anyway, he would do his wind-up, and he, when he'd go to release the ball, there was a hole in the screen, and the ball would come out of that screen. So it was almost a visualization of an actual pitcher from the major leagues pitching at you. And that ball would come flying in. The kids had to hit a ball 50 miles per hour. So in between, I had the chance to sit there and think, well, I'm waiting for the kids to show up. Beep, beep, beep. Professional. Beep, 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 beep. 100 miles per hour. Put the helmet on. Got my bat. I just went to step back. You know, sort of lick my lips. But before I could finish licking my lips, it was like, boom. Step back a little bit further, and I watch the next pitch, and it's like, here it comes. And like, boom. If, you know, here's the thing. Here's what I thought. When I got done doing that, I stood back, and I was like, um, okay, new rule. If you're going to buy a ticket to a Major League Baseball game, you must, after you give them your ticket, step up, put a batter's helmet on, step into that kind of a cage, let a 100-mile-per-hour fastball go whipping by your face, now you may go in and yell at every batter that doesn't swing at a ball, okay? I was thinking, in all fairness, to any athlete that ever has to do that, you know, when they're hitting that ball so hard, you know, we're like, oh, why don't you swing? I'm sitting there. They didn't see it. I, I didn't see it, you know? There's, there's no way. Uh, and so as I, I was thinking about that and watching all this, I, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe that's why, okay? Now, I know... Dave doesn't have the Go Cubs Go song down to sing at the end of the service. But, um, but anyway, Adrian Gonzalez, who played first base for the Los Angeles Dodgers last night uh, for the season, uh, is a man of God. Okay? Loves Jesus Christ. On his bat, on his baseball bat, he has inscribed Psalm 27.1. I want to read this verse to you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. 
Whom shall I be afraid? That's the verse that's on his bat. Now it goes on to say, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, and they, it is they stumble and fall, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, the war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. I thought about those verses, and I, and I thought, you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, this is actually not the right one. This is the right bat I want to use. When I pick up my bat and I get up to the plate in life every day and I'm sitting there, I know this. Satan is going to try to throw everything he can to scare me. And when he throws it, it's going to feel like 100 miles coming in. And I'm probably going to want to step back, fearful of what comes at me sometimes. But did I forget something? Did I forget what I hold? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I hold his word. I hold truth. Psalm 27.1, just like Adrian holds, right? Excuse me. I'm going to sit back up to this. Because I understand this. As quick as it comes in, a ball that comes in in between 90 and 100 miles per hour in the major leagues, if I get my bat on that and I connect, it has an exit velocity of over 100 miles per hour. Bring what you want to bring, Satan. Fear you want to bring it my way? I'm grounded in this. So when you bring it, I send it. Back that up. When you bring it, God sends it. Through us, we get to be a witness to other people who are right now very fearful. There's a lot of people fearful, including maybe some of us. Fear not. Be still. Our God is victorious. And he helps us be victorious when we're grounded in his word. Worship team, would you please come forward? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, church, in the midst of fear and the storms that come, Jesus doesn't, he just doesn't alone say, hey, storm be still, and he puts a muzzle on it. He also tells us, be still. Stand with me. God invites you to stand with him. He's already fighting the battle for you. Step up to the plate. Grab his word. And whatever comes your way, just knock it back. He'll do that for you. Every time, every time. Would you please stand? Church, I know this. God doesn't give me a spirit of fear and timidity, nor does he give that to you. I know that from 2 Timothy. But he gives us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So church, this morning I invite you to be still. Hold on to this truth. When Satan tosses fear your way, allow God to hit it out of your life. And this morning as you prayed... Possibly, if you're sitting in a chair this morning, you said, you know what? I, I confess this morning, and I ask Christ to come into my life. Here's the thing. I want to know that. The church wants to know that. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to be bold and share that with the person next to you or share it with me. you got to share it with somebody because we want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you and encourage you. We even got a little slip you know, when you go to put your money or ties in the uh, blessings box in the back, we got that little slip through that says, hey, did I make a decision today? You can write it on there and put it in the blessings box. We want to know because we want to celebrate with you. Church, you hit a home run. <laughs> you give your life to Christ, you just knocked the ball apart because you've been listening to Satan tell you you can't do things in life. God says, I can do all things for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. Calm our lives, you calm our fears, you allow us to be victorious because you first are victorious. And God, it's not about us 
getting home runs in life, if we want to use that kind of analogy. It's about us being obedient to you and trusting you that when things come our way, you're going to help us in those moments because you are God. We want to humbly bow to you and trust you so we can stand still with you. God, we love you. We pray, Lord, as we sing this song of worship, you continue to speak into our hearts. Let me pray.